Good morning. Oh, we have this uh, funky slide at the beginning. Um, it wasn't me, it was someone else did it for me. So uh, just to say, we're looking at the book of James again. Um, and um, we're in about the third week of looking at James. And we're going to be looking at James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. And I suppose if you look at the book of James, a good way of summarizing it would be the verse we heard in the first week, um, which um, James 1.22, which says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And I like to think of James as the Ron Seal epistle. Um, you may remember the well-known ad campaign. It started in the, in the 1990s. Uh, a rather annoying man used to come along and shove a tin of Ron Seal in your face while quoting the well-known words, It does what it says on the tin. And James is written to Christian believers and his message is very direct. He's saying, do what it says on the tin. It's all about your life, practical stuff, not just theological stuff. And today is, as most of you will know, St. Patrick's Day. And it's a special day for me because it's my spiritual birthday. Um, and many years ago in Bristol, on St. Patrick's Day, um, I became a Christian. And uh, about that time, there was a slogan going around. You could buy it in Christian bookshops on uh, um, posters and stuff. And it said, if you were arrested for being Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? <laughs> and that is quite a thoughtful uh, slogan because it's saying, really, do your actions match who you say you are? And I like to think G James is really like being poked with a sharp stick. It's meant to wake us up to make us think. So let's start looking at the passage, Romans 2, chapter 14 to 26. We'll read it through first. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do um, and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. And it finishes off, I think I've missed out the last uh, uh, bit at the end, um, and it says... And as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And this is quite an in-your-face passage, really. Um, and uh, 
the heart of the message is James is trying to grab our attention. The heart of the passage is a contrast between faith and works or deeds or actions or whatever you want to call them. And it's basically saying, does what you believe match up with who you say you are? And it's important that this passage is, is put aside the message of salvation. Uh, this passage has, in its time, been controversial and misunderstood. Uh, and it takes a bit to actually read what it says and to understand in the context of the Bible of what it means. So, if we have a look um, at what, start back at the beginning. Um, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but no deeds? Can such faith, faith save them? And if we step back a minute and look at what the Bible says about salvation, uh, and we find this in many uh, passages, and the, the one I'm going to look at is Ephesians 2, chapters 8 and 9. And it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no man can boast. And if you look at what it's uh, highlighting, it's the fact that grace is God's free gift. It's not something that we can uh, help God along with. It's not something that anything we can do can make us righteous. It's the free gift of, of grace through our faith, through believing in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so what is James talking about? Because some people think maybe he's trying to contradict that. Is he trying to say that our works are needed for our salvation? No. But, in, in, but the faith in Christ's finished work should be a living faith. And James is all about living faith. What does faith mean? And faith is meant to bring forth fruits, deeds, works, actions. Otherwise, James says, it's not real. Faith is not just a list of things you agree on mentally that don't make any difference to you. And if we look at the, the verse following Ephesians 8 and 9, uh, Ephesians 10, it says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This verse is uh, coming straight after the, the salvation verses, and it says that having come into a new relationship with Jesus, he has works for us to do. And I love this verse because it says that God has prepared things beforehand for us. There's this idea that before we were even born, God had a list of things that he wanted us to do. And therefore, it emphasizes that we need to ask him, what are the things that we're supposed to be doing? Now, I said that uh, uh, this verse was, uh, um, in its time, controversial. I want to look at, um, point it the right direction. No, this is not one of my holiday snaps that I wrongly put, in, <laughs> put it here. But a few years ago, I was driving, uh, I had to go to the, Shankle Road, and I was driving along from Carlisle Circus along Denmark Street, and there was a bit of waste, gro bit of waste ground on the right, and uh, I looked up and saw, in the distance, this mural. And uh, not an unusual thing to see a mural on, on a gable wall in the Shankle, uh, but this one was rather different from the average. And all I could see from the distance was a monk, and I thought, it's a bit strange. And on the way back, I drove up closer, 
and then saw some German words at the bottom. Hier stehe ich, ich kann nicht andere, Gott helfe mir. And my schoolboy German, I managed to work out uh, that it was Martin Luther's words, here I stand, I can do no other, God help me. And Martin Luther in the 1500s was one of the founders of the Protestant Reformation. And he was a monk and theologian and he rediscovered the words of the Apostle Paul uh, about salvation by grace through faith and it's not our works that have anything to do with it. And therefore, it was not surprising that he was initially a bit unsure about James. In fact, he had a suspicion about many of the books of the Bible that didn't uh, talk about salvation um, in the same way as he was used to in, uh, in, uh, in Paul's. And he, in fact, was rather rude to it at one point at the very beginning, and he called it the Epistle of Straw, and he gave it a, a lesser status along with a number of other books uh, around it uh, because his big thing was salvation by faith, uh, uh, through gr grace by faith uh, and not because of works. And yet, that's not what James is talking about. James was actually addressing a different problem um, and some people have called it easy believerism. He wasn't trying to contradict Paul's teaching on salvation, he was building on it. And what he was saying was, what is the nature of the faith that we have? And uh, um, it can't just be a mental agreement with what God's done on the cross, uh, it has to involve a change of life. Um, otherwise, salvation would just be like taken out of insurance policy um, to make sure you get to heaven and not any other destination. Um, and James argues that our deeds, our actions, our works are the evidence of your faith. And if there's no evidence of faith, it's questionable that you have any faith at all. And uh, um, if we look at But he then goes on to say, um, in uh, verse 15, suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is that? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And he's talking about our practical responsibility towards others. Um, and not just a spiritual responsibility towards God, but our spiritual responsibility requires us to take action when people are in need. And in the West, we've got this tendency to compartmentalize our Christian lives into the Sunday bit and our, inverted commas, normal life um, on, on the rest of the time. But Christian lives should be 24-7, and all the parts of our lives should join up. And James talks about how we treat our fellow Christians. He talks about brothers and sisters in need. And praying for them is not enough. You need to do something to help, if you like, acts of mercy. And um, Jesus in, uh, I think it was Luke chapter 14, uh, verses 12 to 14, um, as one example of uh, the things he, he talked about um, in terms of people in need said, uh, to, he was in a, a house, he was invited for a meal, and he said to the host, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And that was just one of the many things Jesus talked about uh, in how we should have social responsibility. And uh, 
in this church, uh, we have our compassion ministries, um, and uh, there's a whole list of them, um, and we have, we partner various people with Stand By Me, CAP, Active Listening, uh, Food Bank, and others, and we've also set up initiatives, um, ARC School Bags, Hospital Mum and New Baby Bags, We Care Project, Revive, Rest, Diversity, Garden of Eden Allotment, um, Tots Tea Room, Reach, um, I've probably missed out a whole load, and I apologize if I have. John Wimber once said, if we ever ignore the poor and needy, we're as good as dead. And that's what James thought too, when he said, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. One of my memories of uh, TV when I was young was the wacky, uh, funny, and completely unfathomable Monty Python's Flying Circus. And one of the famous bits was the dead parrot sketch. And the customer, John Cleese, enters a pet shop with a cage containing a parrot, complained to the pet shop owner uh, that the parrot he bought less than an hour ago is dead. In fact, it had been nailed on the, par on the uh, perch to make it look as though it was alive. And Michael Palin, the owner, makes a whole list of, ex of excuses. He's just resting. He's stunned. And bizarrely, he's pining for the fjords. Um, it was, after all, a Norwegian blue parrot. And John Cleese, in frustration, um, as he typically tends to do, emphasizes what the, the parrot's current state is. He says, he's passed on, he's no more, he's a stiff. He's kicked the bucket, he's shuffled off his mortal coil, he's dead. And James is saying something similar, not quite in the same way, with the same language. He's saying that if your faith is not accompanied by action, it is completely dead. It's not stunned, but it has passed on. It is no more. It has kicked the bucket. It's dead. And then verse 18, if we look on. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your works without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. And James is trying to second guess how someone might disagree with him. And if we read this verse in the message, um, the message version, it says, I can hear one of you uh, agreeing by saying, sounds good, you take care of the faith department, and I'll handle the works department. The point is, we cannot split faith and works. They're part of the same thing. Um, and uh, the second part of the message verse says, not so fast. You can no more show me your works apart from your faith than I can show you my faith apart from my works. Faith and works, works and faith, fit together hand in glove. You can't separate them. And James uses three examples to prove his case. Uh, well, I'm not pointing in the right direction. Um, Yes, it was, on that, it was on that slide after all. Um, okay, um, and the first one was, you believe that there is one God, good, even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? And, and he says that demons, the forces of evil, they know who God is. They believe who God is, but of course they don't do anything about it because they're working in the opposite direction. In a sense, their faith or what they believe doesn't cause them to actually do anything, or at least not in the right way. And he's saying, basically, if uh, we're, we're the same, if we don't let our faith cause a change of our hearts. And then secondly, he goes on to 
look at two figures from the Bible. And you'll find these um, in various places. Uh, there's a great list in Hebrews 11. It's like the sort of um, the faith hall of fame. And he chooses two people to give examples of uh, active faith, faith that actually required them to step out and do something. He chose, first of all, Abraham. He says, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see, that person is considered righteous by what they do um, and not by faith alone. Our actions justify us before God if our motivations are by faith. And Abraham's backstory, as we probably know, is that God promised him that he'd be the father of the nation. Um, the problem was that Abraham was old and he had no children. Um, and for many years, he waited and waited and waited, agonizing years. And then finally, his wife Sarah had a son, Isaac, the fulfillment of all that he'd been hoping for. And then in Genesis 22, we see the story that Abraham was asked by God to sacrifice his only son who he'd longed for for many years, the fulfillment of God's promise. And you can't even believe to, you can't even think what it was like for him to to be asked that uh, after so many years, after waiting and waiting and waiting. And yet it says that Abraham obeyed God. He showed God he was willing to do what he asked. And he took, him up the mount he took his son up the mountain and he was ready to do what God had asked him. And of course, God stopped him from carrying out the sacrifice and provided his own sacrifice. There was a ram caught in a thicket and Abraham was able to sacrifice the ram. God had intervened. And of course, this is a foreshadowing of God's sacrifice of his son Jesus in order that we might be saved. So James argues that Abraham's actions demonstrated, demonstrated his faith. It was what he actually did that caused him to be justified. Abraham risked everything. And then finally, the, the bit was uh, in verse 21. It talks about Rahab. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. This is a great example of God's outrageous grace. Here was Rahab, the ultimate outsider. Unlike Abraham, who was the father of the nation, Abraham was the outsider. She was female. She was a foreigner. She had a bad reputation. And yet, she was saved by her faith, demonstrated by what she did. And the story you can find in Joshua chapter 2, and it's uh, Rahab was a prostitute in Jericho, and then she'd heard how the people of Israel were conquering the land, and she was afraid. And she chose to put her faith in God and not in the, the, the walls of Jericho. Jericho was the city with the biggest walls in the land. You might have thought there was no way that you would not be safe if you stuck, stuck with Jericho. But she put her faith in God. And the spies came in and uh, she hid them and she sent them out and kept them safe and, um, and uh, sent them back to safety. And as her 
reward, she uh, was saved when the city was uh, um, taken. Rahab provided an example of living active faith. She went out in a limb for what she believed. She risked everything. And then in the final verse, it's, um, James says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. He's, he's underlining it. He's saying it again. So if you didn't hear it the first time or the second time, he's saying it finally for the last time. So our faith must be evidenced by our actions. It's, it's a living faith and not a dead faith. We should be doing the works that God has prepared for us beforehand, finding out from him, what are those works, Lord, that you've prepared for me beforehand? Faith starts with small steps. A few years ago, um, when the children were young, uh, uh, we took the family up to the Carrickareed Rope Bridge. And you know the rope bridge, it's basically a set of uh, wooden slats which are held together by uh, rope which is stretched between the, I the island and the mainland. And it sways around and uh, um, it's not fun if you don't like heights. And I hadn't been for about 20 years and our boys were very keen to go over, and I'd forgotten that I don't like heights. And um, the, uh, the road bridge has been changed due to health and safety over the last while, but in those days, uh, the sides were just uh, two or three uh, lengths of rope uh, with space in between. Um, and so uh, our Caroline, our youngest, uh, was too young to go across, so Linda waited with, with uh, Caroline. My job was to take the boys across. And, uh, you know, the important thing was don't look down. And of course, it was probably good that I was with the, the boys because I was concerned about them and not concerned about me. And I just focused on the end of the road bridge and kept looking on and uh, uh, it was all right. I managed to get across and the only problem was I had to come back. Um, and I managed to come back all right. And uh, um, it's interesting because the boys were not at all concerned. Uh, our second boy uh, was uh, so small, he couldn't even reach both sides of the bridge at once w and hold on the ropes. He sort of bounced back between them. So uh, th that, that panicked me a bit. But uh, 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 these, uh, faith was st stepping out in small steps, if you like. Um, and famously, uh, John Wimber, as has been quoted before, said that faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And in uh, 2 Corinthians 5 and 7, it says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. And that is an interesting verse. It says, well, We let God's Spirit start to lead us rather than just make decisions based on our own logical reasoning. We listen to that still small voice inside us and move out of our comfort zones. And when I was going across that bridge, I was definitely out of my comfort zone. We spend time with Him and follow His leading. In Matthew 3 and 16, it says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. What God wants us to do should come from our hearts. It should come from love. It should come from the faith that we believe. He wants our faith to be let loose. And uh, um, what's God saying to us then? How we can express our faith in practical ways. How does he want us to respond? Well, that's really, I suppose, up to us. Thanks.